Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's Luke chapter 15 and we read together from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, She calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Fred, thank you uh, very much indeed. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open there in Luke 15 and we'll be coming back uh, to that passage in just a moment and uh, let me add my welcome to that of Ben's already my name is Paul Williams and um, for those of you who are new again extremely good to see you here uh, and you come on a good day as we begin looking through this section of Luke's gospel uh, this time last year we went up to uh, the verses immediately before this and we're carrying on again now so as we turn to the Bible let me pray for us Heavenly Father thank you very much indeed for the Bible for your word We do pray that as we look at it now, you would speak to us in the very depth of our being, help us to understand more of what you're like and therefore more of what we ought to be like, those of us who follow you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Being lost is a horrible and sometimes quite terrifying experience. I'm not thinking about being lost in a car because you've taken a wrong turning or being lost in a city and unable to find the restaurant you're looking for or as new students will repeatedly experience in the next few weeks, unable to find your way around campus. That sort of thing is inconvenient, but with people around to ask, it's not frightening. No, I'm thinking about really being lost with no one around to ask. I think back to a trip I was on when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16, I think, it was something akin to a Duke of Edinburgh's expedition, but, but a little less controlled. I was a member of the Boys' Brigade, and, and six of us were left in a forest to fend for ourselves for the weekend. We had our backpacks and supplies and maps and compasses, but no tents, because our first task was to find a very basic log cabin. To cut a long story short, and to this day I don't know how it happened, after we'd been walking for a while, for an hour or so, and deep into this forest, I got separated from the rest of the group. They had the maps and I didn't have a clue where to go. I shouted but got no reply, and I I wandered around the forest getting more and more disorientated, not being able to find my way to the cabin or out of the forest, 
And this was long before the days of mobile phones. I had no way of contacting anyone. And as the night began to draw in, I felt very alone and gripped by fear. Now, being lost like that on your own is a horrible and terrifying experience. And what is true in a forest is true in life as well. Just last week, I came across this clip that we're going to show you in a moment from Damon Hill. Now, those of you who don't know him, Damon Hill was the Formula One motor racing champion in 1996. He was the son of Graham Hill, who was also a world champion in Formula One. His dad, Graham, died in a plane crash. Now, listen here to Damon Hill speaking on Five Live just last week. There was a kind of loss of, um, loss of direction when I stopped racing. I knew that this is where I wanted to be and I had I'd achieved everything. And at the same time, I'd also lost some, some role, some sort of ambition. Because if you've been in Formula One for a long time or you've been competing for, like I had for 20 years to get to this point, um, I, I now didn't have a, anything to grab onto. And I, uh, you lose the routine of, of every year having a, an event to compete uh, to focus on and, and work towards and so I had a kind of bit of an identity crisis I think you could say plus the the feeling that I was I didn't want to repeat the uh, the tragedy that happened in my life to to my kids so I didn't want to be putting myself in vulnerable situations that would yeah. did you think sometimes that you were going to die the way your dad did well I didn't think that consciously no but I think that uh, when I when I uh, reached the point where I was very uh, unhappy and I went and saw a therapist and we, we talked about um, my life and, and he's, you know, eventually got to the point and said, well, why, why don't you say you know, you're depressed? Because I, I didn't think I was depressed. I, I just thought I was lost. You know, I, was, I needed an answer. And, he, and, so, and you go, well, what is this thing, depression? And it's, it's actually a, a loss of identity. It's a loss of self. It's a, you know, you're asking yourself, well, who, who, what am I? Well, it's a very honest interview. Uh, death was looming over him because his father had died. He didn't want the same to happen to him and have the impact on his children. He says, did you hear it there? I had a bit of an identity crisis. I just thought I was lost. I asked, who am I? Oh, many of us never express our feelings that frankly, and thankfully most of us will never reach such a low point, but most of us will have experienced that sense of feeling lost at some point in our lives, not knowing where we're going in life not knowing what life is all about. Students just arriving in Sheffield, you will feel lost. And again, not just because you can't find your way to the right lecture theatre. Some will feel it acutely because you're not sure how things are going to pan out in these next years. Not sure if you'll cope with your course or if you'll pass your exams or if you'll get a job at the end of it. Wondering where it's all heading. Welcome to Sheffield. I mean, seriously, you may not have expressed it to anyone, but many will feel that sort of uneasy feeling gnawing away deep down. And you will bury those thoughts, thinking that if you work hard enough, then it'll all clear itself up in the end. But look at Damon Hill. You can reach the pinnacle of your career, have huge success, become world champion, and with it, fabulous wealth, and still feel lost. And it is a horrible experience. 
Well, Luke chapter 15 that we're going to look at this week and next week is a chapter all about being lost. You don't have to be a brilliant Bible student to work that out. It is clear enough from the headings in the church Bibles if you still have it open in front of you. This chapter contains three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. It's all about being lost. But we'll only understand the stories in this chapter when we understand what prompted Jesus to tell them. Look with me again at the verses that uh, Fred read for us just earlier. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was surrounded by people who were lost. They're described here as tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were wealthy but hated. They'd made their money by working for the enemy, lined their own pockets at the expense of others. Today you might think of businessmen who work for reputable multinationals, perhaps large financial institutions, perhaps banks. Just think back ten years when respectable bankers were breaking all sorts of LIBOR rules to make huge profits for themselves and in the process contributing to the entire Western world being plunged into financial instability. That's the tax collectors, wealthy people whose ill-gotten gain had a detrimental effect on others. They'd gathered around Jesus. And then there were sinners in verse 1. Lots of people could fit into that category, but we don't have to guess who these people might be because as if we've been reading through Luke's gospel, we'd have met many of these so-called sinners. Some of them, for example, were prostitutes. So here were wealthy and outwardly respectable businessmen hanging out with prostitutes. And before you think that's a strange mix, just think of recent revelations about allegedly a married politician procuring the services of male, what are they called, escorts. So here were wealthy people hanging out with those who are ready to sell their body for sex. It goes on all the time, always has. So seeing them together here should be no surprise to us. What is a surprise is that Jesus was there with them. Now that really is a story for the tabloid press. A religious leader hanging out with dodgy dealers and shady ladies. Not that it needed an undercover investigative journalist to uncover the story because the religious establishment were onto it immediately. Do you see that in verse 2? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, the, the religious elite were outraged because Jesus wasn't just sort of there, he was, he was making a friend of them. It's clear why the religious elite were so indignant. Jesus isn't just going down to Jerusalem's red light district to hand out Bibles to the ladies of the night. He's not just the guest speaker at a businessman's breakfast. No, Jesus was a friend of these undesirable sinners. He welcomes them, he ate with them, eating with, with them was, was a sign of real friendship. And so at a glance, it really does look rather suspicious, doesn't it? And the respectable right-wing traditionalists who we might call the evangelicals but who Luke calls the Pharisees and teachers of the law the religious leaders weren't happy about it and never mind the religious right-wing public opinion would say it's all wrong today wouldn't they just imagine a bishop spending much of his time with prostitutes and rogue traders it's going to raise a few eyebrows isn't it 
See, it's not hard to see why the Pharisees and teachers of the law reacted as they did, verse 2. This man welcomes sinners. He doesn't just preach at them and tell them to clean up their life. He even eats with them. He's their friend. And hearing the Pharisees and teachers of the law say those things about him was exactly what prompted Jesus to tell the parables that he told, verse 3. Then Jesus told this parable, and in fact he tells all three parables in chapter 15, one after the other, in response to the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were so annoyed by his actions. All three parables are a response to verses 1 and 2. And so all three parables are really directed at the religious people. All three parables are stories about being lost, as we've already seen. And so Jesus said, verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The the answer is obvious. Of course the shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. It's a no-brainer. He asked the same question at the beginning of the second story, verse 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Well, yes, she does. Of course she does. And with verses 1 and 2 in our minds, we can see exactly why Jesus is telling these stories. In this parable, Jesus is explaining why he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. He's looking for the lost. Uh, Please don't think that Jesus is justifying his actions. Jesus never has to explain himself or excuse himself. He is the Lord of the entire universe. He doesn't have to answer to us or to anyone else at all. No, Jesus is doing what he often does. He's turning the tables on the religious establishment. They've questioned why he's hanging out with the scum of society. And in response, he tells them these first two stories to ask them why they aren't doing the same. Because he says very simply, when things are lost, you look for them, don't you? Well, here are lost people, so why aren't you looking for them like I am? You see, the big surprise, as far as Jesus is concerned, is not that he's keeping this company, but that the religious leaders are not. And the challenge that Jesus brings to the Pharisees and and teachers of the law, he brings to us today the kind of religious, respectable lot. You see, verse four, Jesus is like a shepherd looking for lost sheep. Indeed, he called himself the good shepherd somewhere else in the Bible. So here is the good shepherd, the best shepherd there's ever been, going out of his way to find the lost sheep. There's nothing dodgy or seedy or dirty or scandalous about what Jesus is doing. He's acting out of compassion, out of love out of concern for people who are lost because being lost is horrible and a terrifying experience and he knows that and so he goes looking for them because he cares for them. So Jesus goes out of his way to look for lost people as a farmer does with his sheep or as we might do if we lost some money. And seen like that, the outrage here is not that Jesus is hanging out with and befriending rogue traders and prostitutes, but that religious people don't do it. And put like that, we should begin to feel the sting in the tail of these stories for us. This is a challenge to respectable religious people like you and me. I know you're saying, I'm not religious, I'm a Christian. Christianity is different to religion. Yes, I believe that as well. But you see the point. We can so easily become like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law 
people who are really only religious. The challenge as we read these parables that we've known many of us for years, the challenge is when was the last time you or I went out of our way to find lost people? I mean, really went out of our way. It's what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd who is God goes to great lengths to find lost people. As we take communion later in the service, as we do that, we should be thinking on the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, surely then we're reminded of the remarkable lengths Jesus went to to find and win lost people. We sing he came from heaven to earth. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the splendor and majesty of heaven, he was dumped on planet earth. The king of kings and lord of lords had no permanent address. He was an itinerant preacher with no fixed abode. And he was treated appallingly. You think about this as you take bread and wine tonight. Rejected, scorned, ill-treated, then hounded down and wrongly arrested and sentenced to a cruel death on a cross. Jesus went to the most extraordinary lengths for people who are lost, for you and me. He gave everything to find the lost. Now there might be some here who wouldn't yet call themselves followers of the Lord Jesus. Thank you very much for coming. But look, most of us here would call ourselves disciples of the Lord Jesus. As we gather here on Sundays, we sing songs that say, we follow him. Well, look, following him means going to great lengths to find lost people. Well, we're not really following him at all, are we? It is a travesty when we Christians won't go out of our way to tell people about Jesus. Some people won't even tell other people that they are Christians. Incidentally, new students, if, if you're here tonight, just arriving in Sheffield, let me say you're in a new situation, you're meeting new people, nail your colours to the mast early on. Every new conversation you have, tell people that you're Christian. Tomorrow morning, you think, how can I bring that up? You say to somebody else, what did you do yesterday? And they should ask you, what did you do? And you say, I went to church because I'm a Christian. Bang, you've sorted it. Now they know. And when you ask them, what did you do yesterday, and they don't, they don't ask you back, you just tell them anyway. I went to church yesterday, and I'm a Christian. It's, you see, we've got to do that. We've got to start there, haven't we? And to all of us who are Christians, please know that there is a serious disconnect if we say we're Christians, but don't plan time in our diaries to meet with unbelievers. Something's not right when we will lay on a dinner party and invite our Christian friends, but we've never invited the neighbours round for a barbecue in order to get to know them so that in time we can tell them about Jesus. Uh, You see, this isn't just about getting to know the marginalised and dodgy characters in society, although I give great thanks that there are people in this congregation who have spent years getting to know the homeless of this city. That is what this is about, and God bless those people. And others, some in this congregation here tonight, who have a wonderful heart and concern for people in prison. That is brilliant. That is part of it. But this is about going out of our way to make friends with anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Wealthy, respectable, law-abiding, successful people need to hear about Jesus as well. Look at Damon Hill. Lost. And when you've been lost in a forest and you know how scary it is or when you before you became a Christian can remember that sense of I don't know where life is going and how scary it is 
You need to have compassion on other people who feel that way. Don't be fooled into thinking that the people you meet are all sorted and know where they're going in life. Many of them have nagging doubts deep down about what life is all about. And even those who are ultra-confident are lost whether they realise it or not. I heard this week that every year in Australia, more than 27,000 people are reported to the police as missing. It's a lot of people. It's a big country, I suppose you can get lost pretty easily. But 27,000 people are reported to the police as missing. Of those who are missing, 98% of them are found within a year. Of the other 2%, 1% of the investigations find the person has been murdered and 1% remain unsolved. But as I heard those statistics, by far the most astonishing fact is that the majority of people who are reported missing don't even know it. The police are out looking for them and they don't even realise they're missing. They're just plodding through life, going to work, playing sport, shopping, going on holiday. Imagine they're playing tennis one day and there's police looking for them because they think they're lost. They're missing, but they don't even know it. For many people, the first thing they know about being lost is when the policeman knocks on the door and says, oh, we found you. I didn't even know I was lost. Why isn't that exactly like the majority of people who we meet who aren't Christians? They don't even know they're lost. So we do need to go and find them and help them. The first two parables in this chapter says to religious people, go and find lost people. Go out of your way to find lost people because to go to great lengths to find things that are lost is exactly what the Lord Jesus himself did. What are, the de- what are the details of these two stories? For years, when I've read Luke 15, many times I've asked myself, why does Jesus tell the parable of the lost coins immediately after the parable of the lost sheep? Have you ever asked yourself that question? For years I thought to myself, the second story, the, the parable of the lost coins, doesn't seem to add anything to the first. It's just another story about being lost. And this week it came to me. I think Jesus tells these two stories, one after the other, because when we put them all together, they appeal to us at every level. First, there's a shepherd looking for a sheep. This is the workplace. It's your livelihood. Losing a sheep was to lose a valuable asset. So let me take you to work for a minute. You lose an important document and you hunt high and low for it. You go to extraordinary lengths to find it. Everything else is put on hold. It happened to me just two weeks ago, before I started studying this, actually. I write all my talks on the application pages. Two weeks ago, I tried to open a pages document, and it wouldn't open. And then I tried another document, and for some reason, I couldn't open any of my documents in pages. It's Tuesday afternoon. On Thursday morning, I am giving a talk, which I've been working on for days... And it's in a pages document. And I am starting to panic. And so at that moment, everything else that I was going to do, and I was going to do quite a few things that afternoon, everything else was put on hold. I rang Apple support, because I couldn't work it out. And one very helpful Apple employee helped me for an hour and then put me on to a senior Apple employee who helped me for another hour, and two hours later, after we'd searched my computer, the problem was resolved, and what a relief. I was overjoyed when I found that document. That's the story of the lost sheep. It's just that I'm not a farmer. 
You don't have to be a farmer to get it. Translate it into your own workplace and understand what it is to lose something. And then you get it and suddenly you get the point. If you're a PhD student, it's losing your research paper. If you're in business, it's losing all your records of your client base. It really matters to you. And when you lose those things, you look for them. You go to great lengths to find them. So Jesus is saying, if you'll do that for a document or for important information, why don't you do that for people? Precious people for whom Christ died. The parable of the lost sheep grabs us at another level too, because it's all about an animal. It's about something that's living and many of us feel compassion towards animals. Not everyone. I know some people who don't care a hoot about animals, but many people do. So this bit connects with you. Not so long ago, I saw a poster on a tree outside our house for a, a lost cat. The owners had obviously gone to great lengths to find their cat. Put these posters all around the tree. I've seen posts on Facebook doing a similar thing. People look everywhere to find their lost cat. If you, li- if you listen carefully at night, you can hear people calling for their lost cat. <laughs> when we lose things that we love or important for us, we look for them. And this parable says, if you'll do it for a sheep, if you'll do it for a cat, why would you not do it for your neighbours or colleagues or friends or family who are heading for a lost eternity? That's the parable of the lost sheep. And then why does he then tell another story? Ah, because now it's about coins. Now, if he hasn't got you yet, he'll get you now. Because it's about money. And we begin to realise what we really love. It's about a woman losing a silver coin worth, we're told in the footnote, about a day's wages. So I had to get my calculator out this week. The average annual salary today is £26,500. Most people work five days a week. So in today's money, a day's wage is about £100. She's lost £100. No wonder she's looking high and low for it. I only need to drop a pound coin on the floor at home and I'll go to great lengths to find it. I'll move furniture to retrieve my lost £1. If I go to the cash machine and withdraw £100, I'm quite surprised there's that much in the bank, first of all. But if I do that, then a few days later, I find that my wallet is almost empty. I go through my mind trying to work out where's it all gone. And I asked Caroline, my wife, did you take some money out of my wallet? I don't mind if she did, I just want to know where it's gone. I can't rest until I've accounted for it. When I spend all that money. That's verse 8, isn't it? Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds Of course she does. And if we'll do that when we lose money, why don't we go out of our way to find lost people? Is it because money's more important to us than people? The answer, if we're like the Pharisees and tax collectors, is that we don't value people as much as we value money or our business or even our pets. With the, Pharisee, with the, Pharisees, uh, with the um, Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're self-righteous and proud. They don't love people enough to go and tell them the glorious gospel of life and hope. And we need to ask ourselves whether that's why we don't go, because we don't really care enough for people. This says it's not enough for us to be here on Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, or even for us as a church to put things on for people to come to. It's not enough for expect people to come. Why do we expect lost people to find us? Lost people are lost. How can they find their way? They don't even know the answer is Jesus Christ. Why would they turn up at a church? We've got to go looking for them. So when I think about this 
It's going to affect my diary. It's going to affect how I use my time. It's going to change my priorities. These stories, simple as they are, are very profound. They say, take a good hard look at your heart, Paul Williams. Do I love my livelihood and my pets and my money more than I love lost people? Next time you or I feel a a sense of loss and panic when a document disappears or when the cat doesn't come home or when you lose some money, ask yourself, why don't I feel that same intensity of emotion over someone who's lost? This parable should motivate us, some of us, to go. And it should motivate some of us to go on our next church plant. In a few months' time, I hope I'll be able to tell you more about a church plant that I'm talking to the diocese about. In a few months' time, as I begin to tell you about it, I'll be asking some people to go, to move house. To go out of your way to look for lost people. To go and live in an area where there isn't a strong Bible-believing church. It's inconvenient. Do you love people? Do you know how scary it is to be lost? As we plant churches, we want to keep growing this church, Christ Church forward. Um, This parable motivates me to spend time with unbelieving colleagues. And uh, sorry, unbelieving. I don't have unbelieving colleagues. You'll be pleased to know. Um, Sorry. It should motivate you to spend time with unbelieving colleagues. And with unbelieving neighbours and friends and family. That should motivate me to spend good, unhurried time with unbelievers. Befriending them. Loving them. Eating with them. And then, in appropriate ways, not ramming it down their throat, but in appropriate ways, speaking about the Lord Jesus and inviting them perhaps to events here. Christmas is coming. The easiest invite of the year now actually is the time to be spending time with unbelievers so that you can easily and naturally invite people to things at Christmas. Again, Christian students here, if you've just joined us, and maybe I should say particularly to second and third years, it's great to have you back. This is a crucial time of the year for you to make a difference. All these freshers turning up, another way around, Show them some love. Don't think about yourself for the next couple of weeks. Think about them. Spend time with them. Put yourself out for them. It will make such a difference. And you know, I reckon if we do that in years to come, somebody will be standing up the front here and saying, you know, I I came to university and and someone befriended me on Freshers Week. I'd never really thought about Jesus before. I didn't even know I was lost. Now I realise I was. Jesus went to great lengths to find lost people. If we follow him, so should we. Well, my time has gone, but let me encourage you with the, with the way the parable of the lost sheep and lost coin end. Very briefly, look with me at verses five to seven and then verse nine. Firstly, verse five to seven. And look out for the word, it's not difficult, look out for the word that is repeated again and again. Verse five, when he finds it, when he finds the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who don't need to repent. Verse nine, how does the story, story end? Exactly the same, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's 
rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you know, everyone's rejoicing in the, in the story. The shepherd's joyful, the woman is joyful, their friends and neighbours are joyful when they tell them about it. Everyone's full of joy. Most importantly, heaven is rejoicing over one coin, one sheep, one sinner who is found. That's how important lost people, every single one, are to Jesus. When they are found, there is a party in heaven. And here's the thing that I want to leave us with. Searching for and then finding the lost not only brings heaven joy, but it brings everyone else joy. Great joy. You know that feeling if you're a Christian. You hear that somebody's become a Christian Christian and it, and it, it starts to make your heart leap, doesn't it? You get really thrilled and excited. It makes you happy. I hear somebody's become a Christian and it's the best thing that day. It makes my week. If I haven't heard it for a while, it makes my month. When it's one of my friends, my goodness me, I'm leaping around the house like there's no tomorrow, giving you high fives and everything. And that's why I don't mind urging and encouraging Christians to be about this very work of evangelism. Because it brings us joy. Of course, not to mention the good it does for the lost people. And remember, being lost is a horrible and terrifying experience. Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you are a God of love and kindness and compassion. Thank you that you are a God who has gone out of his way to find lost people. People who've ignored you and hurt you. People who want nothing to do with you. We thank you for the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his extraordinary life of rejection and his most painful death because you love lost people. And we pray as we look at him and as we look at these simple stories that he told, we would not be like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, but that we would be moved with compassion and kindness and love for people. Moved so much that it doesn't just sort of hit us now, but it changes the way we use our time and our money and all the efforts that we have. Please do what only you can do in us to move our hearts that we might be people who show this kind of love to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.